that this is the 31st year of the founding of Word of Life Christian Center International. And we thank God for giving us the wonderful blessing of having over three decades of being a local congregation to worship him, to exalt him, to glorify him, to bless him. And so we call upon the word of life nation all around the world uh, and want you to know that we appreciate your support, your love, your prayers. And uh, I have to say that uh, for Pascal and myself, we are truly blessed to have you as uh, the members, the congregation, the sheep, if you will, that God has given to us. And we only have one purpose, and the purpose is to represent Jesus before you and teach his word in such a way that you might grow spiritually, mentally, physically, financially, emotionally, and socially, so that you too can find your purpose, your destiny that God has planned for your life. And for that reason, we really are excited as part of the fact that, as I said, we cannot do it like we did last year. Pastor Christ was reminding me that, can you imagine if our tenth year had fallen this year, we couldn't have done the big shindig we'd had <laughs> over at the basic city center. So thank God, knowing fully well, to allow us to enjoy this. I, I want to thank all of you for your support, uh, your prayers, uh, in fact, your financial contributions, your tithes. Can you imagine tithing for 30 years? Oh my God, that's really wonderful. Can you imagine serving God in the local assembly? for 30 years? Can you imagine being a reflection of Jesus' love in this community and beyond for over 30 years? God bless all of you uh, for that. And we believe in God that come uh, next year, we can double it up this year, next year, and have a, a wonderful, awesome time indeed. Uh, praise the Lord. I think that the mayor said that we have uh, moved on to stage two uh, and stage one, two, starting Tuesday. And, and, uh, and so we thank God for that. Praise the Lord. And so what stage two means is that you can have at least 50 uh, people worshiping God in a sanctuary uh, unlike now. And so uh, for all of you watching and who are members here, uh, become part of the 50 next Sunday and just come and worship the Lord and glorify God. If you also want to stay at home and watch us, it's all good. Praise the Lord. But I just want you to know the door has been opened. Our prayers are being answered. We thank God for the destruction of this virus as we continue to believe God for it. Praise the Lord. Well, with that said, uh, this time you may stand up and let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Our Father and our God, we want to thank you for another glorious opportunity to thank you for 31 years of being the chief shepherd of this house. We thank you for 31 years of healing us, protecting us, delivering us from present evils and destruction, prospering us, favoring us. We thank you for 31 years of your Holy Spirit guiding us, directing us, ordering our steps in the way that we should go. We thank you, God, for 31 years of allowing us to raise our children in the way that they should go so when they're old, they never depart, uh, depart from it. We thank you for enabling us, Father, for these 31 years to be able to uh, bless these children of this house and help them take root downward and bear fruit upward. We thank you for their lives. We thank you for the marriages that had been officiated in this house uh, for nearly for over 31 years. Okay, of course, 20 years now in this house, but as a ministry for over 31 years. We thank you for that. We thank you, Father, for those who are members of this church who, uh, because you call them home, are home with you now. And we thank you and we bless you as we celebrate 31 years. I know they are helping us celebrate it in heaven also in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the businesses in this house that you have prospered. We thank you, Father, for watching over all of us to keep us safe. We thank you for those who are single that you have watched over them, taking care of them. You've been their husband, their protector. We thank you for that in the name of Jesus. And Father, finally, we thank you for this word that we are about to receive this morning. We'll give you praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us just say amen. Amen and amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. You may sit. message last week and was about God keeps his promises. That God is a promise keeper. So what you heard last week was introduction and this morning I intend to uh, give you proof of what he has done uh, to give us the confidence that a God who can make a promise and fulfill it will also be able to fulfill all the promises that he has made to you as well. And as usual, I'd like to uh, quickly go through a short review of what we covered last week and then we'll get to what I have for you this morning. To understand that God is a promise keeper, you have to understand his love for man. 
The Bible tells us that God created man in his own image and in his likeness and created him as the crowning glory of all his creation. What does that mean? As you know, if you were to look in the book of Genesis, which speaks about the creation, you'll find out that the last creature, the last act of God was the creation of man. God created everything, and then the last thing that he created was man and put man as a head of all his creation. Let's look at Psalms 8 for the proof of it. In Psalms 8, starting from verse 3, so let's go to verse 4 quickly, well, since I'm there. Okay. So when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, I want you to think about that. The moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Think about the heavens. Think about the work of his fingers. Every creation, every creature was God, was a work of God's fingers. Everything that you can see. The heavens, the stars, the moons. It says that, that when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, verse 4. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Why do you spend so much time filling your mind up with us? That was a question. And the son of man, that thou visitest him. Now, let's hold on to that scripture for a second. It says that what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him. That means man is such a creature which fills God, man with man himself overflowing, if you will. But in addition to that, he visits man. In addition, he visits man. Not a man visits him. He visits us. You know what it takes to visit someone? You got to get in your car or unless you don't have your walk or whatever. But you make a decision to go be with someone else. Do you follow this? And you really must think that a person is worth or worthy of your visit to go there to visit with them. And God is in heaven that he chooses to visit us. Let me prove that to you. Go to Genesis chapter 3. When he created man, Genesis chapter 3, and let's pick up from verse 9. And the Lord, let's go up a little bit. Go, uh, go to verse uh, 8. And go to verse 7. Just want you to see. As in the eyes of both of them both were open and they knew they were naked. This is when Adam sinned and Eve as well. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. 
they heard this God makes man as the highest of all his creation, puts man on top of his creation, and man just rebels, turns his back on God. How do we know that? I said several times uh, this year that God is a master of information. God likes to inform man with the reasons why he made man and give man understanding of who God himself is. So God is a creator of information. And his information given to us is to help us, to influence us, to persuade us, to enable us to agree with him and walk with him. Amos says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? So God has given us information by which in our agreement of it, we can walk with him. So God is always giving out information. This Bible is filled with information from God that he wants you to know. And that information is to help persuade you live a very glorious, successful life here on earth. Now, so Satan shows up in Genesis chapter 3 and is able to give a different information from a different opinion and what happens, Adam and Eve chose Adam's, um, Satan's side and gave up on God. God creates everything for them, makes everything for them, provides everything for them, did everything for them. It's like sometimes we think about our children. We do everything for them, and then still they decide what they want to do. Hello? God did everything. Everything for man. And yet, man got a different information that opposed God's information, believed that information more than God's information, chose that information over God, and yet, God decides to visit man. As we read, what is man that God visited him? Remember, we read that in in Psalms 8. And we see here in Genesis uh, chapter 3, uh, here verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden. That's a visit. Are you here? In the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. What I'm trying to show you here is that at this point in time, man has turned himself to the devil, given himself to the devil, and yet, God visits him. Because he's mindful. Your, God's mind is full of you. Even when you mess up, his mind is full of you. If I, even now than ever, if you're born again. So you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Let us look at that. Genesis 3, 15. And God pronounces upon Adam and Eve, and certainly also upon the devil. He said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. From this scripture, 
God made a promise. What was the promise? It was a promise of redemption. We sang the song earlier about Jesus, the ones whom you redeem have come to worship you. So this was God's promise to man that, that, that he will have the, the blessing of bruising the head of Satan, even as Satan will bruise the heel of man. Now fast forward this. Again, for God to say that about man, to man then, was a promise that he had to find a way to fulfill it. We're talking about God as a promise keeper. So he has to keep this promise that he made to man. And the promise that he made when he declared what he would do to the devil. There's an interesting scripture in the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's look at verse 2. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. When in the time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, referring to the devil, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Next, among whom also we all had our conversation in the times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh of, and of the mind. Hmm, this is the first time I took note of this. So, the, the, so fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. Have you ever thought about that? That is, there are desires of the mind. There are lustful desires of the mind, just like lustful desires of the flesh. This is why Jesus could say that even if a person had not physically committed adultery, if it's in your heart, they still have committed adultery. You know that? And we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Next verse. But God, who is rich in mercy, rich in mercy. I just wanted you to see that. Mercy simply means being given the opportunity to be declared innocent, though guilty. Being given a, an, a, a sentence of guilt and then the Lord coming back to it and saying that you are forgiven. And so mercy, uh, uh, James talks about, trumps over justice. We just heard about this woman who was uh, in prison for 22 years plus and the president pardoned her, uh, uh, and so that's an example of mercy. Mercy is the punishment was is that she could not, for, uh, as a citizen of the United States, vote or have her full citizenship rights. But when mercy was shown to her, even though she was guilty, now she has been declared innocent to be able to enjoy the fullness of rights as an American citizen. You understand that? So that's God is rich in mercy. Why? For his great love wherein he loved us. So that's why he visits us. He visits us because he loves us. He, and the only way that he can, I wrote something down. Listen to this uh, in my preparation last night. 
listen, listen to this. This will really help somebody. It says this, that God's gracious choice means that his promises do not rest on anything in us or grace will not be grace. God's gracious choice means that his promises do not rest on anything in us. That is, there's nothing in us that makes God merciful. There's nothing in us that, I guess I mean, that, that we can do to make God accept mercy to us. Because if we had to think about doing something to qualify for God's mercy, then if we did something else to disqualify ourselves, then God would not be able to extend mercy to us. The reason why God extends mercy towards us is because he's merciful. Did you get it? It is so important to know that because as we look at the promises that he has kept to man, promises that he has kept based upon what he declared before and later on he accomplished, it is all because of who he is, his character, his nature, the profile of God is that he is what? Merciful. He is rich in mercy and his love towards us. So here we see that Adam sinned. Here we see that even when he sinned, God visited him. That was in the garden. Go to John, uh, John chapter 3, verse 16. John chapter 3, verse 16. This is a famous scripture. We all know it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So, so that's another visitation. God visited Adam in the garden. Adam turned this world to the devil, for the devil become the God of this world. So not only is man against God, the world system is also being established to be against God. Did you get it? People don't really realize it. This world system is being established to be anti-God. So you should not be surprised with the behavior of people in the world. In fact, Romans, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul puts it this way. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so the, the, this world system has been established without the capacity to discern the spiritual things of God, without the capacity of understanding the information that God has given to, to the world. Are you getting this? So here it is that you have God sending his son to visit us. It says he came to visit us. Let's go to John 3.16 again. And visit the world. Came into the world. He loved the world. How can you love the world when the world is against him? What kind of person is God? Not only is man against him, the, 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 the world that he created from the earth that he created for man, 
there has come to be a system on this earth called the world system that now is against God. Did you get it? There has been a government established. There has been a system established. There has been a society established. And it's all over the world. That's against God. And yet, because of the promise he made, in fact, let's go even further back to a promise that he made. Go to Revelation chapter 13, and we'll come back to this in a minute, because I want to read another verse there. Uh, uh, 13 verse 8. Revelation 13 verse 8. Listen to this. I want to pick up from it says, uh, uh, well, let me read. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God made a promise then. Before he made the world, he made a promise. And the promise was this. A promise was for that which can keep him from visiting man. The promise was that which could keep him from visiting the man. Because God is holy. And because he's holy, he cannot entertain sin. And so he had to solve the sin problem before he even made the world. That was a promise he made. It says that the, 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 the lamb slain from the foundation, before the foundation was put together for this world, the lamb was slain. There was somebody coming that was going to pay the price who sang earlier, Jesus, the Redeemer, who has redeemed us. Now he came to fulfill that. So let's go to John chapter 3, verse 16 again. So God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. Now let's look at the next verse. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the promise he made in the garden, the promise he made in heaven even before he created the world, was that he will find a way, God will find a way to pay the price so that he can always visit man. That's how much he loves us. That's how, he, he, that's how much he loves us. It's like a parent who says to a child, no matter what you do, know that you can always come home. That's the best you can tell a child. No matter what happens, you can always go home. You can go home again. Hello? That's how the prodigal son, father, uh, welcomed the son home because he wanted him to know you're always welcome home. So, uh, it says, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Next verse. He that believes on him is not condemned. Listen about it. He that believes on him is not condemned. To condemn someone is to assign them for destruction. So you can read, he that believes, in, believes on him is not assigned for destruction. But he that believes not is assigned for destruction already. 
because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Do you see that? This is why the Bible says that if a person's name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, that that person is the one who has been assigned for destruction. Now, it gets even better. This is the part I'm about to share with you should excite in, all of us here and those who are watching us <clears throat> on uh, Facebook Live and YouTube. Listen to this. The message is that God is a promise keeper. So I want you to come with me to show you, and, and maybe we're not going to read this, but I can tell you, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 28, it talks about the three curses, the three main curses, the three curses that, that will come upon those that will be under condemnation, according to the scripture. Those who uh, will have uh, not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And the three things were eternal death, two, sicknesses and diseases, and three, poverty. So you can put all the curses and group them in, under those three groupings. Eternal death, uh, uh, Revelation chapter 20 talks about it as the second death. And then uh, you have two uh, sicknesses and diseases and three, poverty. And so God made a promise to bless man. And blessing man means that he had to bless man to take away those three areas of curses. Eternal death, that means in its place there will be eternal life. Then there are sicknesses and diseases in its place, it will be what? Healing and health. And three, in poverty, in its place it will be what? Prosperity or riches. So let's look at these promises that God made and work our way to this point of concluding that indeed promises made and promises kept with God. Come with me to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, to the book. Let's begin with the book of John. John chapter 14, verse 6. John chapter 14, verse 6. It says, Jesus saith unto him, in fact, before, go to uh, John chapter 3. Let's read it and we'll get to 14 in a second. Let's say John chapter 3, verse 1. Let's start from there. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Next, the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know. And I like that he said, we know. He didn't say, I know. That means there were a lot of the Pharisees, a lot of them, who knew that thou art a teacher come from God. The question is they knew 
Why were they struggling so much and accepting him as such? That's a different message. Said, no, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. And, and, and I thought about this. Remember when Jesus healed the leper? The leper said to Jesus, if thou will, thou can save me. Remember that? And what did Jesus do? He touched our will, and he touched him. Since this virus, people have said, the reason why I want to make sure that even though I believe that I will not come on the, this virus power, even though I believe that, I don't want to be the one to transmit it to somebody else. But Jesus touched a leper and was around other people and touched them also. When you study that and you persuade yourself with it, when we pray, we say that not only we will not be uh, affected by this, but we will not affect anyone else. That's the way, because, because Jesus is our example. Anyway, that's a, a side point. Uh, where were we? Okay. Uh, ne- next verse. Jesus answered and said, Very, very, I say unto thee, Somebody might say, well, well, Jesus, so you can do that. You know, well, the Bible says, to him that believeth, all things are possible. I'm not trying to challenge anybody in terms of their faith. I'm just simply saying that we should not look to man for answers. We should look to our Lord and our Savior. That's whom we go to. And when you read something, this information, when you read it, meditate in it. Let it sink in you because that's how you get revelation. What I just shared with you here, when I got that support, that's awesome. Jesus touched the leper, touched other people. There were a lot of people who were touching Jesus who had complicable diseases. Look at Matthew 3.10. Matthew 3.10. Go to Mark 3.10 then. For he had healed many and so much that they pressed upon him for to touch him as many as had plagues. Do you see that? Are you here? The Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. God is waiting for somebody who can believe this information, rather than believing the information of the world. God is waiting for somebody to believe it. And it is my task and my responsibility as your pastor to show it to you. When I get it, I'll show it to you. Okay, let's go back to where we were. Uh, where were we? John chapter 3, right? Okay. It says, Jesus answered something, very, very answer unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again. So then it tells me that Jesus came 
to accomplish that one area of eternal death to turn us from eternal death into what? Eternal life. He said, except a man be born again. And I had wanted to show you the scripture in 14, since maybe we should have read it, but he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He was telling the truth. The truth tells the truth. <laughs> truth tells the truth. There are some people trying to tell the truth there's no truth in them. How can you tell the truth there's no truth in you? You know who the truth is? He is Jesus. Without Jesus in you, there's no truth in you. You may have facts, but you don't have truth in you. Oh, glory. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he tells us what it takes for a man to be born again. And let's go to Romans chapter 10. Uh, let's begin with verse 1. I'm going to read verse 1 to 4, and then we'll pick up from uh, 9 to 10. Uh, the brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. That's another word of saying to get eternal life. Remember, the curse is eternal death. God made a promise that he will bring an answer to, to eternal death so that we can have eternal life when that uh, person, the seed of the woman, shows up. And the seed of the woman, of course, is Jesus. I'll show that in a minute. But the so brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Now, it's the same Paul said. In fact, Jesus himself once said, the salvation is of the Jews. Remember that? That there was a woman that came to get him to pray for uh, his daughter. And in, in conversation, Jesus said that salvation is of the Jews. But what it meant was that if there was any group of people that were to understand salvation, it would have to be the Jewish people. Why? Because they were the ones who received the information of the common answer to take care of eternal death. The rest of the world didn't have that information. Paul put it this way in Acts chapter 17. The times when God went a sin, he's not doing that anymore. Which means that because these people didn't, he was talking to Gentiles in Athens, that there was a time God winked at because God knew, how could they possibly know when they don't have the information? And you ask yourself, why is it that information was only given to them and not to the rest of us? Ask God about it. All I know is, is that that's how he does things. He chooses one person or one nation, and through that person or one nation, he blesses the entire world. That's how God does things. And so he says, salvation is of the Jew first. Jesus said that. Paul comes back and says this in, in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 17. And we'll get back to where we're in a minute. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. For there is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Uh-huh. Next. Because that which may be known uh, of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it unto them. Go to verse 15 of this. Because uh, there's a verse that I want. But, uh, so as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Verse 16. For I am not ashamed. That's what I want to read. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is a power of God unto what? Salvation. To everyone that believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. Why do you think Jewish people are so much tormented, tortured, criticized, hated? It's all because God chose them to bring the Lord Jesus Christ to us. And we should thank God for them and not to hate them. We really should. You know, sometimes I wonder why people want me to be politically correct. I, I, I am spiritually correct. If I can, if I can prove to you. That's more important to me than being politically correct. And I know it may not make you happy. I understand that. But I'd rather please God than please man. Hello? I don't please God. I don't serve you. I serve God. Are you listening to me here? We all have to be in that place. We have to do that. Because often we are tr- we're trying to please people. Yes, I'm black. Yes, I'm African, but most importantly, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. Hello, I'm a child of God. I'm more interested in pleasing God than pleasing anybody. White, black, brown, yellow, it doesn't make a difference. All I want to do is to please God because it is only God that will reward me for my work and my service here on earth. And that's all I'm doing. Hello. All right, now let's get back to, uh, this is for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for there's a power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Let's get back to John chapter 3. Uh, we were at verse 6 uh, and um, John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So Jesus said this born again experience is going to come by being born of the spirit, not being born of the flesh. That's why the flesh gives birth to you first and then the spirit gives birth to you second. That's what it means born again. Hello? All right. Now, so let's go to Romans chapter 10. We're there, verse 1. We're reading it. Romans chapter 10, verse 1. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. Verse 2, for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You think about it. <clears throat> there are people with zeal. To have zeal is to have passion. To have strong desire. To do something, to get something done. But you can have that and still be wrong. Look at a person 
who has been informed that if they went and strapped themselves with a suicide belt and killed many people in the process, that person will enter paradise. And they have the zeal of it, ready to do it, and they go ahead and did, and did it. And, and some of them uh, actually went ahead and did it. And you will say to yourself, what is zeal? What passion? What strong desire? But strong desire in error. And it's so sad to have such zeal and to be wrong. The saddest thing in the world is somebody who is so wrong, but they're so also so zealous. It's hard to get them. They're gone. They think they're so right. They have a passion for that, but they are wrong in it. What was wrong with the Jewish people was that, in this instance, was that they believed that Moses was enough. They didn't believe that Jesus was a Messiah. And Paul, having been called to preach the gospel of Jesus, wanted his own people, his nation, his tribe, to have accepted Jesus. But he had difficulty in doing so. So he says in that scripture that his hard desire, let's go back to it, <clears throat> for a better record that they have a zeal of God, excuse me, but not according to knowledge. Let's go quickly. Verse 3. Uh, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness, they have a zeal, but ignorant. That's it, not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. Now he's about to tell us in verse 4 what the righteousness says. For Christ is the end of the law. For righteousness to everyone that believes. You see that? So then, Jesus came to settle the issue and pay the price for the Lord God the Father to keep his promise to man that from eternal death he will bring eternal life to man as he promised in the Garden of Eden. Let's go to verse 9 of the same chapter. This is how you get it. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's all you have to do. For verse 10 says that, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So God kept his promise. Jesus came, paid the price, spilled his blood, died on the cross. Whoever hangs on the cross, the Bible says, is cursed. So he took the curse, your curse and my curse upon himself to pay the price as a ransom. You know, when they kidnap someone and the kidnapped person will tell the family of the person that they've kidnapped that you need to pay as ransom so that we can release to you your loved one. So that is a requirement for that person to actually go ahead and pay the ransom, whatever it might be. The ransom for us to be set free and to be born again was for Jesus 
to die on the cross for us. That was a ransom. He came and he paid for it. And this was promised. If you go to Isaiah chapter 53, look at verses 3 to 5. This is how he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Next, surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. That was a, the ransom, smitten of God and afflicted. Next verse. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Do you see that? So this was the prophetic utterance that God gave to Isaiah to prophesy. So he had to keep it. He had to make it good. He said, or oh, somebody coming that will fulfill what we just read here. Are you getting me here? So Jesus came, stood, let's look in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, stood in the synagogue and said this. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set and liberate them that are bruised, Next, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He stood up and said that, which was prophesied of the person who will come, the anointed one who will come to accomplish the need of the purchase of man back from, from the devil, back to God. And Jesus fulfilled that. So eternal life is now available for those in eternal death, and all of us were there before we got saved. So let's go to the second uh, group of the curses that uh, we are supposed to uh, uh, be delivered from. The second one was sicknesses and diseases. And of course, we looked at it from this verse we just read here, Isaiah 53, uh, verses 3 and 5. He said, by his stripes were healed. And if you look to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says that who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. You see that? That we being dead to sins shall live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So we've gone from our healed to where Healed. The price had been paid. What was the price? He stood at a whipping post and got whipped. God kept his promise. That in the place of the curse of sicknesses and diseases, he will bring about healing and excellent health for us. In fact, if you go to First John, I mean Third John, verse 1, Third John, verse 1, it says this, Third John, verse 1. The third John, 
the epistle, Third John. It simply says that, let's go there. That's <clears throat> It says in verse 1, the elder unto the well-beloved gears, whom I love in the truth. Verse 2, beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospers. So it tells me that God is in the business of keeping his promise about you being healed, about you being well, about you being whole. That's God. Now, when God keeps his promise, there's something that you also have to do, and we'll get to that in a minute. But he has kept his promise to you. And the promise to you is that there was a curse in the garden, and the curse included sicknesses and diseases. And he said that I will come in, take care of the sicknesses and diseases, pay a ransom for that so that you can go and do your life with no sicknesses and diseases. He said that. And he not only meant it, but he accomplished it. We just read it. In First Peter chapter 2 and, and in John, in 3 John chapter 2, it said the same, uh, chapter 1 verse 2. So my point is that God kept his word. If God keeps his promise to you, what then should you do? I'll get that in a minute. Let me finish with this last point, the group of, uh, of curses. The third curse is in the area of poverty. It's interesting. We know this scripture in uh, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. Let's look at it. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22. The blessing of the Lord, it makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Yes, amen, amen. And so that, that curse has been taken care of. It did in the old. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm glad. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Even though some of the, the let me put it this way, of the three curses, eternal death, sickness, disease, and then thirdly, poverty, all those three, except eternal life, the other two were still available for those who are under the Abrahamic covenant. And even in the covenant, the Mosaic covenant also. But they had to work to get it. It's the difference. They had to work to get it. We, on the other hand, believe to get it. So, in this uh, scripture that we just read, it was available that the blessing of the Lord, he make it rich, he make it rich, and he has no sorrow with it. They had to do a lot of things to get it. They had to pay their tithes. You know, even New Testament days, we don't think we have to pay tithes. Some, some people believe that. Thank God, this church, you believe in that. Praise the Lord. 
And we do it because we love God. They had to do it because of duty. Now you can do something out of duty and not have love in it. Not everybody in the army or everybody who's supposed to protect uh, the, the president or the police officers who are supposed to protect us, not everybody loves us. But they do what they do out of duty. We want to change their attitude to love us. Can you yourself do that? How many people have you changed your attitude to love? So there's a duty and there is love. Love is better than duty. No question about it. Yeah, but even if love isn't there, they are still expected with their responsibility to have the duty of protect and serve. So when it comes to us, we have the benefit of paying our tithes out of love rather than out of duty. I hope you understand the difference. But I want to bring you to this scripture. Go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Let's start from verse 7. For every man according as he purposes in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what we are, cheerful givers. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have an all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, let's go to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. Let me show you something there as well. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. So, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, that's a promise that God made, he kept it, for your sakes, he became poor, that you through his poverty might be what? Rich. Promises made, promises kept. Now, you read this and you say, okay, I understand. I have eternal life. I'm supposed to be healed, well and whole. I'm supposed to be rich. How come the first one seems to be so easy and the last two are so difficult? How come when I, I said I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, boom, there it was, saved, born again. That very same hour, that very same second, that very same moment. Oh, but when it comes to saying that I'm healed, sometimes it takes a longer time before it manifests. Oh, to say that I'm rich, uh, that's a whole different ballgame. And so why is that? Why is that the case? Let me give you the answer. 
The first thing you have to understand is that we have an adversary. An adversary whose name is the devil. He couldn't stop you when you asked Jesus to come into your life. But now he says that he's going to do everything he can to make sure you don't get the other two. The mistake we make, now listen to this, the mistake we make is that we make, we, we, we think that the other two has to be achieved differently from the first one. It is the same thing. Uh, the way you got saved is the way you get healed and the way you get rich. They are all one in the same. And you have to watch it so that you don't give yourself to the enemy to make you think that you are not healthy nor you are not rich. It came, when you got saved, it came with the territory. Do you know salvation itself means preservation of life, which is eternal life. It means soundness of mind, peace of mind. It means divine health, divine healing. It means prosperity. It means welfare. And it means security and wholeness. All of those things came to you when you received Jesus. So if you have Jesus, you got all of them. God made his promise. God kept his promise. He calls you saved because you accepted his son, Jesus Christ. He calls you healed because you accepted his son, Jesus Christ. He calls you rich because you accepted his son, Jesus Christ. All you have to do is you wake up in the morning and you thank God. Thank you, Father, that I'm saved, I'm healed, and I'm rich. I am sick. Can you say it with me? I am saved, I'm healed, I'm rich. I am saved, I'm healed, I'm rich. I am saved, I'm healed, I'm rich. I am saved, I'm rich. I am saved, I'm healed, and I'm rich. One more time. I'm saved, I am healed, and I'm rich. Praise the Lord. That's a good way to end it. Now, when you say that, then God takes over. See, he's done all that he would do. The Bible says that was grace, but it's faith that takes it. So you don't have to doubt when there's a different, don't be like Adam and Eve listening to the devil. How can I be healed if I, I, I'm sick? How can I be rich when I can't pay my bills? That has nothing to do with it. You being sick has nothing to do with you being healed. 
Hello? You being not able to pay your bills has nothing to do with you not being rich. It has nothing to do with it. You have to stand in that place, stand in that position, and stand on it to the very end and see God look at you. Remember the three Jewish boys? They stood on the word of God that they are not to bow down before any graven image. They did. And so even when they could stare in the, in the, uh, the, the fiery furnace right in front of them, they still held to their ground. And in the end, they came out without any smoke on their body or on their clothes. That's what God wants. For you to say that you're rich, even when you can barely put two pennies together. Or for you to say that I am healed when you are still in pain. God loves you. What makes you think that Christians are not supposed to suffer? What makes you think that we don't have to go through anything at all? We do. What makes you that we can't go through storms of life? Jesus said that in this world, there will be trials. and He said that. But be of good cheer, for I will come this world. Because the more you go through them and come out, thank God you don't go to them, you go through them and come out. The more you tell the devil whom you believe and whose you are. Stand up to your feet. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, we bless you, Father. Oh, hallelujah. We bless you, O Lord. We bless you, O Lord. <laughs> we bless you, O Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. We bless you, O Lord. We bless you. Lift up your hands. Lord, in the name of Jesus, and if you're at home, you can lift up your hands as well. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I declare, prophesy to your children of the Word of Life nation around the world, whose hands are lifted up to you. I declare to them that no one in their family will be lost to this plane. I declare to them that a supernatural favor of finances is coming to them. I declare to them in the name of Jesus that the work of the Lord Jesus in their lives to bring about the purposes and plans of God for their lives have started and they will walk in them in the name of Jesus, I declare to them that indeed the light of God shall shine on them wherever they go. I declare unto them in the name of Jesus that the safety, security, and protection of God will be like a fire around them. And wherever they go, that fire will burn up every virus, bacteria, 
disease, sickness, infirmity, whatever is wrong, that fire will turn around and make it right for them in the name of Jesus. I declare, Father God, I declare them successful in whatever they put their hands to do in the name of Jesus. And I give you praise, I give you glory, I give you honor for it in Jesus' name. Well, shout hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. If you are at home and you don't know Jesus Christ as a Lord and Savior, you are watching us. I want to invite you to receive Jesus. Jesus told Nicodemus that you have to be born again. And this born again experience is a spiritual one. All you have to do is say that Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Take my life and do something with it. If you pray that prayer, you may call us, look at the number at the bottom of your screen, or you may write to us, you may email us, however you choose to do it. We want to be able to get a gift into your hand. If you need, you are able to send us a, a note to say that you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I wrote a book called Righteousness Rules. I want to send it to you. If indeed you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior.